the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The gory days. Oh, the candy man can, the candy man can, the candy man can, cause he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory lane to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and early 1990s. Yes, the Candyman can, with his hook for a hand, split you from your groin to your gullet. Ugh. Today we are hooked on the contemporary horror classic 1992's Candyman, starring Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd, which... Uh, who I know from the Final Destination series, but we'll get on to yeah, but we'll get into all of that in a second. My guest today is an Australian writer and actor based here in LA. Writer too, we'll get into that. Please welcome to the Gory Days, Paris Herbert Taylor. Welcome. Hello. Is that how you pronounce it, yes. Herbert? Okay. Yes, I, I have know. a double barrel last name. Okay. Which Americans seem to struggle with. I get why I get the hyphen. My- uh, it's my mom's last name and my dad's last name, so they went for the equality. Good and for her. Yeah, yeah, and she didn't change her name, and my dad didn't change his name, and so my siblings and I are Herbert Taylors. That's really great. I, I say Herbert Taylor, but I have to say Herbert Taylor in America, <laughs> because otherwise no one understands Well, it's me. funny, when I, when I first read your name in, I think, email form, I read it as uh, Paris Albert Taylor, like like with some kind of, like, Paris Albert Taylor. Yes, very, very exotic. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you're from Australia originally. Where I from? Am. Uh, I was born in Perth, which is on the west coast of Australia. Very cool. But I've had, I'll give you the very abridged version. I've had a very interesting uh, life. I grew up in Hong Kong. Gosh. And Malaysia. Um, So I have two siblings and one was born in Hong Kong, one was born in Malaysia. We lived in Sydney for a little bit when I was a kid. And then uh, we moved back to Hong Kong, which is where I graduated high school. So I went to the Australian International School of Hong Kong. And then... We, and then my parents split up, which was very sad, but they're, we're all good now. And my dad moved back to Perth, but I moved back to Sydney to go to university and had a great time, four years, uh, and then randomly moved to Toronto (laughs) for almost six years. What brought you there? You say randomly. (laughs) Well, I originally went to work in a summer camp. My friend got a job in a summer camp and I was like, yeah, that sounds about, you know, I I had finished my master's and I was working on a TV show that didn't go to a second season and... I was having one of those like many quarter life crises. That's really cool, though. You were working on a <laughs> yeah. TV show, like yeah. whether or not it. What, yeah, how it was, was a, that? It was great. It was a reality TV show. It was basically Australia's ripoff of Laguna Beach. It was oh, okay. very funny, but it was a great experience and kind of you know set the trajectory for my um, creative life. And then yeah, after almost six years in Canada and kind of realizing that Canada was like the younger brother, I to like the film industry, I decided to come oh, to LA to America. Well, yes, it is. No, it is in a way. I mean, Canada is similar to Australia in that it doesn't take itself um, as seriously in the entertainment space. And so it's very lucky in Toronto, they have the Toronto Film Festival, which is hugely influential to films that kind of, it starts their process. It's where the movie today premiered. Ah, uh, yes, of TIFF. course. Um, but yeah, it just seems to be, it's, it, it struggles the same way that Australia does ca- Canada um, in that, you know, there's not as much funding to make films. So okay. a lot of people... You know, have to make these micro-budget films. It's harder to break in, and then a lot of a lot of American productions shoot in Canada because there's a lot of tax breaks. It's um, something I really appreciate you coming in for because uh, from movies, it's such a Eurocentric, like, stand- well, like American-centric mm-hmm. standpoint because we have Hollywood, mm-hmm. and that's you know what the internationally is mm-hmm. recognized as where the big movies are made. Yeah. Only now are we starting to get more and more foreign films mm-hmm. from like the Hong Kong market or like 
Australia. Like, Australia. Like France. I can't even name a Canadian film, but I'm sure You'd be you would be surprised. I think that the trick is like for example, Schitt's Creek, which is a wildly oh, popular yeah. TV show, which I actually had with to... Eugene Levy, right? Yes. Yeah. Um. So I one of my many jobs in my career. So I've come through like marketing, public relations, all related to entertainment. But at one point, I was a marketing assistant at Pinewood Studios, which is a massive soundstage they're mainly huge in the uk but they also have like a dominican republic stage um and then the toronto one is where they shot pacific rim um yeah so i was a marketing assistant for the internal marketing so for pinewood studios in canada and at the time schitt's creek was being shot there and i remember being and this is like the mindset i remember being very like derogatory towards it because they were also shooting um suicide squad at the same time okay and so like and everybody in at Pinewood Studios, it's similar to... It's actually different. In LA, you have all those, like, you know, studios. In in Toronto, there's not that many sound stages, so they're very far away from things. So Pinewood was located, um, you know, far down on the waterfront from away from everything. So there was, like, a lunch spot that everyone had inside. Like, they cooked meals internally. Similar okay. to having, like, a crafty or whatever. But... Yeah. So you would run into, like, the actors. So I, like, you would run into, like, Eugene Levy. And they had their own food as well, but, like, occasionally they would eat up there. And yeah, I just remember being so like down on these Canadian stars versus like seeing like, you know, hoping for the chance to see like a Will Smith. And it kind of comes back to that psychology of like what's Canadian isn't considered as like cool and special. It seems more attainable. Yeah. Yeah. Especially a Canadian celebrity. Right. And like Jay Baruchel was always around who was like so funny and Uh, From How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah. Um, And he's in a lot of things. And and, uh, I think at the time he was shooting that Monsters dating show like... uh, I can't remember what it was called. He, he okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to look at it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised. There are a lot of Canadian talents. It's similar to Australia that come out here that because there's not as much up there. Um, Kobe Smulders is Canadian. Really? Yeah. Um, I knew the big ones like Robin Williams and Jim Carrey. Are a lot Canadian. of the Ryans are Canadian. Oh, like really? Ryan, um, Ryan Reynolds. Seacrest? No. Oh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm talking about movies. Though, oh, but, okay. Gotcha. You know, gotcha, so gotcha. it's surprising. You know, Rachel McAdams is, a, is Canadian. She, yeah. She went to high school down the road from my ex-boyfriend's high school in like this small town in country Ontario. I mean, I remember it blew me away when I heard Tom Holland's real voice. He plays Spider-Man. He plays mm-hmm. Peter Parker perfectly like from Queens, but he's got this English accent. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've been all over the I map. Why, uh, uh, so how do you identify? So like I introduced you as an Australian, yeah. but you've been all over the place. Yeah, that is something that it's, uh, you know, it's actually something that's really influenced what I write about and like oh. how I connect with people. And I think even the reason I came into entertainment and into storytelling. So you introduced me as a, a writer actor, which is really hilarious because everybody thinks I'm an actor. <laughs> Only recently have I kind of been like, Oh yeah, I do. Like I just did a sketch show with the pack theater. Oh, and I, I, thank you. And I, um, I wrote some of the sketches and I acted in it, but you know, acting and I, I have so much respect for actors, but it's such a tough job. And so I feel like a lot of people are like, I'm an actor and they haven't really done anything. Did you do it like through high school? I did. I did it in high school. And that is actually what I wanted to do. And then when I left, I realized that it was this like really hard journey, which is kind of what led me through the more corporate side of film, like the supporting roles, marketing, PR events. Yeah. Um, Because I then got to be in the room without 
in some ways I cheated because I didn't have to go through those years and years of struggling because everybody needs the support staff. Exactly. Right? No, that's a, that's the game I'm playing right, right. now. Is that I, I didn't go to film school. Did you go to... No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't go to any kind of formal... You kind of uh, teach yourself as an adult, right? Yeah. So the only way to do is to get as close as you can to right. the creatives who did go to film school right. or are successful and assist them. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, in LA, I mean, everywhere in the world, I will say less in LA potentially, but everywhere in the world, it's so easy for someone to be like, I'm a producer. And then if you... Pro- probe them a little bit like what have you produced oh well i you know insert like not to be down on web series but like let's say they've done a web series that's that's great versus like being in la you're like oh you're a producer what have you produced and they're able to like list a bunch of features or you know shorts that have gotten into into festivals um so i think it's very what i've seen and why i've been so hesitant to call myself a creative which ultimately i am and that's what i want to do there you go um is because it's you know, I'm the kind of person that's like the proof is in the pudding. I would like to have something to show for myself. And I'm slowly getting that. Um, you yeah. Know. So what was the thing that <laughs> yeah. made you like comfortable enough to say like, I am a writer? Um, I think I guess it was recently I wrote um, a play with a co-worker and a friend who's also an Australian. And, uh, I tried it was Felicity, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, she's a guest on the show. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, uh, I missed the performance, unfortunately, okay. but it was last uh, a couple Thursdays ago, yes, right? Yes, and it was very well received. And I mean, it was, here, listen, it's, it's, you can't undermine your achievements. It's, um, it was a small little thing. It was 10, 15 minutes, but it was through this company called, uh, like this theater company called The Public Assembly. And, you know, they're very hardworking actors and professionals who do this because they love the theater. And we were very fortunate to have a really amazing cast. We had um, a guy named Casey Brown, who's on the Kaminsky method. So that was already really? like mind blowing to me. That's a big get. Yeah. Because he was friends with, you know, the director who was such a Baba, who's one of the, you know, reoccurring guys from uh, new girl. He plays uh, CC's. You mentioned boyfriend. that. That's right. Okay. So, I mean, for us, I mean, and there were other actors in there as well that were amazing. And we had another director. Um, they are not as broken through the industry yet but you know fantastic um as well but it was just such a treat to be able to work with you know professional people who do this on a day-to-day basis and so that was when i was like okay i wrote something we're putting it on yeah this is happening um but but to circle back to your original question about how to identify this is something that really brought me into writing was because i realized as someone who moved around the world so much and for me home is such a strange concept that no matter where you go, a lot of the stories are the same. Yes. People's stories. Themes, universal Themes. ideas. Yeah. yeah. And so by being a storyteller, by being involved in that, you kind of, A, break down those walls between people. No matter where you are, someone in Alabama has the same, well, at the moment, I don't know, has a lot of the same concerns <laughs> as someone, you know, in the Middle East. You know, that's a whole other can of worms, body autonomy or whatever. But it makes you realize that no matter where you are, like people suffer from loneliness and grief. Mm-hmm. And, and so by being a storyteller, that's how I've always you know, tapped in. And so when I moved here, I was like, oh, I, I'm not from a place. I'm from a people. And I found my people. I love that. In the creatives here. Yeah, LA. because that's something that we're finally getting more of. Films like Crazy Rich Asians and TV shows like Special. These mm-hmm. alternative stories from people that I am not, mm-hmm. but obviously are experiencing the same kinds of things that I can either sympathize or maybe even empathize if I'm going through the same thing. So uh, you say it influences your writing, and uh, I guess you answered my next question, so I'll skip <laughs> the next one, um, which uh, is... Uh, Oh, so, uh, no, no, that wasn't it. I can't remember. Anyway, so what's your relationship to uh, film and horror specifically? Great question. So when we originally met, I was, you were like, oh, I run this like horror podcast. And I was like, cool, I will never be a guest on that show because I hate horror films. That is a terrible thing to say because 
it's such a wide genre. That's like saying like, I hate old Chinese food. You know, I grew, yeah. I grew up in Hong Kong and I can tell you right now that like Chinese food from the Sichuan region is very different from Hong Kong Chinese food. So you can't hate one thing. Like yeah. you, but I have up until this point, I'm 30 years old. I have always been like, I hate horror movies. Sure. And even today, you know, my boyfriend tried to make me watch the trailer for it too. And I got about 15 seconds in before I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I got, Excuse me. That's okay. The good. marketing for those movies yeah. is scarier than the movies themselves, well, honestly. I wouldn't know because I would never go to see one. Okay, I okay. live around West Hollywood where there's a lot of really deep drains. And I'm always <laughs> like... And this is the problem, I think. And so we're going to get into it today. But I had a very traumatic experience as a child. Uh, my relationship with film is like, I love film. I do, I do worry that it's a medium that's dying because... Oh, do uh, tell. Well, I worry that, you know... I'm not looking at my watch because you're taking too long. No, I just want to make sure I'm sticking to my time. No, of course. Exactly. I think, you know, where we're at right now with streaming platforms and with like all this digital content is obviously the future. If you do any kind of history reading into our entertainment industry, which I recently have been a bit more, um, there was a point in like the 1920s, 1930s where the studios got so, so big, they controlled everything. And then ultimately television came in and disrupted everything. And the ones that were slow to adapt were the ones that, uh, struggled and you know Walt Disney was actually one of the first pioneers where he was like oh this is a way for me to get into people's homes with like the Disney morning show mm -hmm. and to like become a brand and so I mean the industry goes through so many things we saw with the writer's strike with the DVD thing like we're seeing with the agents firing seeing, right now right so it's it's always like this constant movement but what I worry about with the film industry and this comes from someone who um you know, for five years, I worked at film festival events. I went to Cannes and Sundance and I was there and I did everything. Is that people don't really go to the movies anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am so guilty of that. When I had um, movie pass, I went like five times a week yeah. because I was like, sweet, now it's affordable. But they've just made it so difficult to actually get there. And I actually went to a free screening of The Hustle recently Ooh. with Anne Hathaway and Rebel yeah, Wilson because yeah, yeah. I'm... If you're Australian, you're listening to this, and you're not a member of Australians in LA or Australians in film, you and should shame be. On you. Yeah, well, because <laughs> there's so few of us out here, and we all kind of help each other. And so they always do like screenings, and usually the actors come out, like Joel Edgerton's come out quite a lot to see things. Mm -hmm. um, Rebel wasn't there this time, but I had the funnest experience in a movie theater that I'd had in ages. I was sitting next to a girlfriend of mine awesome. who was laughing her ass off the entire time, like hysterically laughing. And then I mean, I was kind of giggling, but because she was laughing, then I it's was infectious. Laughing. So I think, you know, that people should go to the movies. But I worry now with streaming platforms coming in, things being expensive, we're going to see a difference. And it's like Game of Thrones, which I do not watch. Don't hate on me. Is, not a problem. Is the only show that I can think of right now where people are getting together to watch it. Because, it is. Because it gets dropped. And the thing about stories is like, again, it's what binds us together. Yes, you can go home and watch... The Get Down, which was a show directed by it Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing, but it did not get you know renewed, and mm -hmm. people didn't really know about it. It was a very important story, I thought, um, and we didn't have that same like tapped in sort of senses of community. Um, so films are important. But... Yeah, but you hit on a really important thing with Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. which is the weekly like yeah. dropping. Because with Netflix, mm -hmm. they'll put out an entire show yeah. usually, and that's their shtick. Maybe I'll watch half of it, mm -hmm. and you'll have seen all of it, mm -hmm. and then we go to work together can't and talk about it. We can't talk about it exactly. I mean, you can, but it's like yeah, it's it, different. It's that cultural experience. I think you know people do still watch movies on Netflix, like. Um, to all the boys I've ever loved before. It was like a Netflix movie with... Uh... Oh, okay. I thought you were telling me no, about no, no, <laughs> some no, two older boys no, that you loved before. No, it's this, it's this Netflix movie that did so well. I think it's pro I think I heard that it was the most streamed film. More than Roma. 
Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but it was 80 million views or whatever. That's and, insane. Wow. Yeah. And it was like so... People loved it, but it was low production values. But And people talked about it, but it's different. Like if you're sitting next to someone enjoying it, if you're sitting with strangers... And I think coming back yeah. to your horror... That's why people still go to the movies to see horror because they want to be freaked out together. They want the shared experience of that because going into a scary movie alone and having that happen to you and having no outlet to talk about it or laugh about it afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus me where I feel trapped in a movie theater with a horror and I don't want my friends to know that I am a complete wuss where I'm sitting there like, ugh. I saw Annihilation in the movies and I was like, that was so scary. That was an amazing movie. And my boyfriend was like, this is like art house. And I was like, there are scary moments. There's pop out moments. I feel like the end is art house most yeah, of it is pretty like, yeah it's like happening? it's like 2001 like honestly no movie yeah. since then i remembered my question earlier yeah. how do your friends and family and parents respond to you uh going out into the world and trying this thing and and so, succeeding at it more importantly well, well success is, 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 is you know, <laughs> i'm impressed thank i think you're you. succeeding thank you so much and i think you know you do have to give yourself a pat on the back if you are in la and you're surviving and i'm and as a creative you got to be your yeah. own cheerleader and you know i have a corporate job i work for a producer and digital and it's like it's interesting but it's you know i've been always very clear that look where i want to go is more the producing route and now i'm kind of like oh maybe i could write maybe i could direct you know you kind of unlock these things in yourself the more confident you get but yes to answer your question so in terms of moving my family is also very all over the world so my dad currently lives half the year in paris or outside paris in france um and half the year in australia okay for work He's like semi-retired. Him, oh, okay. My stepmom is originally from London, and okay. they own a house in the countryside in France. And Gosh, so they spend. Nice. Yeah, it's very nice. It's a very nice perk. But because between the two of them, they have seven kids because she has four and my dad has three. Okay. Us three. Oh, I didn't know you had siblings. Yes, and so I think they picked a place that they were like they wanted to be, but also like it's more likely she has two. I think two of her kids live in um, London, so it's like kind of in the middle. And I'm here, and my brother was in Vancouver for a while, wow. a long time. And my mom lives in Thailand. Which oh my gosh, the cool. time difference. How yes. do you talk on the phone? I have a lot of uh, time zones saved on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's never a problem. And it's good for me because it makes working internationally like easy. Like, yeah. uh, you know, if I, I do a lot of work with this Chinese office that we have. and uh, How many hours is Thailand ahead or Thailand behind? is... I'm going to quiz you. From the, from the East Coast, it's exactly 12. Okay. So then it's 15, depending on the time time zone. Right. Um, and depending on... I love that back, that LA backdrop with the <laughs> We're brought to you by police sirens yeah, this episode. You. But yeah, I mean, and so in terms of like the creative element. Your family's um, supportive and everybody? Yeah, my dad uh, my dad is the guy and the guy that's like leap and the net will appear, which is great if you're a baby boomer and you had all of your yeah. things paid for. Now, it's a different world. Yeah. And, I mean, but I still appreciate the sentiment. And my mom's whole thing is like, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. So that's kind of challenged me to be always pushing. Um, I do think, you know, I make okay money as, you know, doing what I'm doing. I think my dad's like, Hey, you should buy a house. And I'm like, Hey, do you have like (laughs) a million dollars to give me? Um, he might, geez, a a house in a a chateau in France. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very, let's call it like vibey. It's like very farmhouse, but Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it is it is tough. It's almost like coming out to your parents, like, I want to be creative. Yeah, it, it really is. And they're like, uh, okay. and you Try know, again. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. I think I think ultimately my your parents, hopefully if they're supportive, always want you to be happy. But mm-hmm. they also, I think, appreciate that there are challenges. I know that both my parents were like, yeah, go try LA. But I don't know if they actually thought that it would work. 
Um, are your siblings in uh, the industry? Or? No, uh, no, they are very, but they are also very like they kind of beat, walk to the beat of their own drum. Okay. You know, my brother did a, did a cyber forensic criminology degree. Cool. And then, um, oh, we're getting true crimey. Yeah, and then he went off and was a ski bum for like the last seven years, and like you know, props to him. And, to each his own. Yeah, he's into like more the hospitality route, but. I think that's the interesting thing about our careers is like, so long as you are chasing the thing that you're enjoying and not just being buffeted along, which I was for a long time, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, you kind of end up where you can be happy. And I think it's all success is defined by, you know, being satisfied at work and also having creative pursuits and hobbies and also like being fulfilled. So it really depends how you define like what you're doing. I find your perspective so refreshing because you've come from so many perspectives that you're not, you don't have tunnel vision like so many people here no. do. You aren't trapped in the bubble mm. and uh, hating on everybody else. And you're not mired in the politics, as I imagine. Like you're, you, you have your own prime minister to worry about. Yes. Uh, so I'm worried uh, about the world politics. <laughs> I'm worried about people's rights. I'm worried about the planet and yeah. the plastic in the ocean. I mean, yeah, I think when you get on a granular level, and I, it happens. I mean, listen, I live in the United States. I'm obviously very much aware of what's happening with the politics. My boyfriend is from Oregon. It's oh. a very conservative state. Portland is a very liberal yes, state. Yes, But his dad Another and I... Another bubble. His dad and I have very different, you know, kind of opinions, which is... It's okay, because we can sit down and talk about it. Yeah. But also, like you said, I come from a very different perspective. I have lived... Listen, China ain't no thing. You know, Hong Kong is a, its own little bubble, but it's and it's technically a special administrative region. But, you know, China's got its own growing pains. And I think if you are interested in politics overall, you should be interested in people mm-hmm. and you should be interested in the things that affect people and the planet and not maybe about like who's got the best slogan. I know we're about to ramp up into like these elections with like Bernie up against Kamala up against Joe. And it's like, ugh. But that's what I mean, like uh, to to be so close minded and mm. and not to think of politics as domestic only mm-hmm. and like only taking care of your own and literally putting up walls to make sure that other people can't come in. Yeah. Uh, whereas we are all on the same planet. We're yeah. all one nation, the nation of Earth. And, uh, and I wish I could have a passport that, you know, allowed me to live wherever because I would, you know, I say, yes, I'm Australian, but. And Hong Kong is my home in many ways. Do you speak ways. Chinese? I don't because okay. I'm a bratty little expat. <laughs> oh, right. Like brat. But um, I mean, whenever I go to a new place, I try. And when I'm in Hong Kong, my Cantonese comes back a little bit. I can okay. definitely swear and get in a taxi and stuff. But I, that's, that's my white privilege being like, oh, everybody speaks English here. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, I agree with you. I think bringing down the borders, it's what's ultimately going to make us stronger and you know, I, it is. It's it's hard, especially in America, I think, because like with the film industry, you guys are the center of the world mm-hmm. in many ways. And you have been. Um, but if you want to be richer in knowledge and also, I guess, I think phys- financially, yeah. for me, moving has always been, you know, enriching. A way to broaden your horizons, yeah. literally. So what's coming down the pike? What do you got working on? Anything special that you can talk about? Yeah, sure. I, I can. So yeah, I kind of had this thing unlocked inside of me where I was like, I'm going to do more projects. So like many people in LA, I am, you know, trying to get into one of these writers, get like programs that oh, they have. They awesome. Have, Which one? Um, you're, you're, you're yeah, submitting stuff. I'm kind of open. I, so I, <laughs> I think, I don't think you should ever close yourself off creatively yeah. and be like, I only write this or I only like this. I mean, people who love horror also seem to love comedy. Um, yeah, yeah. unlike me where I'm like, I hate horror, <laughs> but no, I mean, so I do think I have like kind of a funny voice. So now I'm kind of focusing on the comedy, but I'm doing it with awesome. like a social 
aspects of the play that we wrote was about um, two TV presenters and they're both men and they have this kind of like illicit affair. It's like a, but it was done with comedy. So they're like, they're like on set and they're like doing the live show. And then in between they're kind of bickering and basically like, you know, because I think people are like, okay with, oh, you're gay. Like, that's cool. Um, but we don't always see like love stories as much in that world. I know we've had some, you know, Oscar worthy. Uh, yeah, stuff. but that's the thing is like there are these touchstones. Yeah. yeah, there aren't there aren't as many like just comedies or incidental yeah. gay characters. And so I didn't really talk about my youngest sibling, um, but she is transgender. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah. So my brother Kipling is gay. Um I am straight and white and, <laughs> and middle class. And so it's this weird thing where I've been around and, you know, I, I don't ever want to take anyone else's voice away. But what I'm working on right now is a few projects where um, a gender and sexuality are less like, oh, this is a movie about a transgender person. So I want to make a short. I want um, it to be addressing some of those um, questions, but I don't want it to be like the central thing. I, mean, I think it just needs to be like more normal, like you said seeing transgender actors in yeah. a lot of things. And I want to do it with comedy because like what I'm seeing with my sibling is that, you know, my dad is like 65 and he is trying so hard to be on the right side of trying to be woke. politics. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he takes a minute and sometimes he's been like, Oh, he or she. And like, good for him. Um, I see my younger sibling getting very touchy about that. And I understand, I understand that it's like tricky but I also think we can kind of, you know, we should be able to be a little bit more lighthearted about it. I agree. I think the quickest way to normalize something in people's minds is not to make fun of it, but to find what they find funny. Yeah. Because, like, that that way it's like, oh, they laugh too. They find things silly too. Like, uh, a, a gay comic making fun of themselves yeah. and things is the quickest way for my dad to be laughing and be yeah. like, okay, that's And then normal. he's like, it's not we- I think the problem is, is like... At this point, my... And I'm not talking to me like, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, like those terrible movies, Uh, The Stepping Stones. Yeah, you don't want to be, like, offensive. Yeah. But I do think, you know, my dad, I think, yes, if there was a little bit of humor injected, because he's like, I don't know if, you know, and I watched this great little video online, and it was like, questions that transgender people get asked that are so annoying. It's like, have you had the op? You know, like, that's so offensive. Like, you don't go around asking people about their genitals. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jesus. But, you know, there's there's other things that are, like... You know, like, oh, it's okay to say, like, what are your pronouns? Instead of being like... Well, that's appropriate, yeah. You know, how do I... And being weird about it. Cause it's, what are you? Yeah, yeah. That's the way the funniness, I think, comes in. Because then people, It makes them the other. Right. I'm sorry, no, no, no. That's so true. That's, that's exactly it. And I think because I've always been the other, I was the white girl in Hong Kong with blonde hair that stood out. I was the kid back in Australia who had, like, a weird American accent because I'd been at international schools my whole life. You know, I have always felt on the outside. And so my challenge and what I'm passionate about is like bringing those others to the, to the forefront and like having a conversation about it. Let's laugh about it. Let's, um, yeah, let's normalize it. And I, I just, I'm focused a little bit on like sexuality and transgender at the moment. Cause it's so personal to me Yeah, and raising those, those awarenesses. But you know, Felicity and I, um, had pitched, uh, a, something to like a competition where it was like the main character was in a wheelchair, but she was like really into like kinky sex stuff because people don't talk about that yeah. because it's like, Oh, she's in a wheelchair. Like, oh, be delicate. You know, like they'd have no this, sexuality, right? They yeah. have no, and they have no like autonomy. It's like, um, it's very possible that this girl could love getting yeah. tied up and, you know, or being a dom or whatever. So I think my challenge to myself. So I'm, I'm making a short film at the moment. Amazing. Um, I mean, I'm in the, I'm just rewriting it right now. But I have a few friends who are very talented, and this is, you know, I want to tap in more to like the trans community here and find some amazing actors there. 
and then make stuff that's like yeah just letting them just be normal and not be like this is you know it's not transparent where i'm like i'm not gonna name the the film like this is something about that it's just one of the characters happens to be trans yeah so you have an inclusion agenda i I think that's amazing yeah um so now let's transition a little bit the movie you brought in today before we go to our quick break is candy man what what, why why candy man uh candy man (laughs) is the film that turned me off horror films forever i watched it yeah. When I was 10 years old. Okay, I, I way was, too young. <laughs> I was trying to think when I saw it, because it came out in 1992, mm-hmm. and I was back in Australia, because we lived in, in Sydney for a few years when I was kind of around that like middle school, late, like early. Developmental years. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a sleepover with um, two girls. We were at this girl Sarah's house, I'll never forget. Sarah and Katie were the girls there. And there was a babysitter, and I think the mom was like, okay, you guys can just like get a movie or whatever. And this was like... (laughs) R-rated. Well, I don't know. We had a babysitter, so I can't remember if we like chose it as like kind of a dare to each other. There was... In Australia, there was Blockbuster, but there was also this place called Video Easy. And I remember we went to Video Easy. It was like an orange logo. (laughs) And so anyway, so she either chose it and just kind of whatever. She left us downstairs. We watched this movie. Good babysitter. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so scary. If you're, I mean, it's not like, cause now you look back and we'll talk about that, but I, I was surprised. I hadn't seen this movie. This was the first time. A lot of, you know, and I was kind of like watching a lot of trailers this last week in preparation for this. A lot of movies from the eighties and nineties were extremely gory. Yeah. Horror movies. Like now I feel like it can be a horror and it can be like psychological. Yes. But like the conjuring. Yeah. But like, anyway, so we had the sleepover and there was three of us and I will never forget this girl, Sarah had three, she had two like, um, single beds in her room. Cause she was like an only child, but she always had For sleepovers. people who can't see right now, uh, Paris is, uh, <laughs> pantomiming <laughs> a, uh, kind of, she's putting a pizza in an oven maybe. No, okay. I'm just like, I'm walking through this house in my mind that like traumatized me. So just she had this, these two single beds and then there was like a sleeping bag set up on the floor in the middle. And I'll never forget because Sarah, after we watched the movie, it was her house. And she's like, no, I have to sleep on the floor in the middle. <laughs> and there was a glass window, like floor to ceiling, like sliding door window on one side of one bed. Oh my and God. on the other side was like the door to the corridor. And you could see the bathroom through the corridor. And she made me sleep in that bed near the, after we just watched this movie and we'll get into it, but like the candy man comes through like the bathroom mirror. Yeah. And so we were traumatized and I would not pee in a public bathroom for two years. And my <laughs> oh, mom was furious. And I will never forget as well. There was one day, so Katie, one of the girls was in the car and we had not stopped talking about this movie. My mom was fed up and we were driving to a mall and she locked the car doors, internally locked the car doors and said into the mirror, Candyman three times, which is how you summon him. And we were beside ourselves. We were hysterically crying and like trying to get out of the door, like, you know, pulling at the door. And my mom was like, see, see, nothing happened. But I was so traumatized from this movie. It doesn't happen right away. No. It can happen like the next right, day. <laughs> right. So I, yeah, so my mom was furious at me. And ever since then, I have never really been able, I couldn't even get through the first episode of the new Sabrina. For good reason. That yeah. sounds horrible. That's so traumatizing. Yeah, so I think I might have a little bit of PTSD. And it's, it's a shame because, it, you know, there's so many people that I like really admire. Like, for example, Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. who actually, I don't know if you researched yeah, this, yeah. but he's going to be remaking Candyman yeah, yeah. this year. Which is really exciting. Yeah. I think uh, they're they're making it this year and it's uh, set to come out in June 2020. Yeah, so, June 2020. Yeah, yeah. So probably almost exactly a year from now, yeah. we'll have a new version. 
but yeah it was um and it's it's just a shame because i think a lot of really experimental i even like to see him a comedy director go into that realm it's like you realize that there are so many possibilities with horror because you can be so much more free it's inspiring yeah mm-hmm. especially with like some of, some of the humor elements mm-hmm. in get out and i haven't seen us but i imagine in i us, haven't seen yeah. either of them because i am such a, a wuss <laughs> well fantastic well you're not a wuss today because today we are talking about 1992's candy man when we come back we are going to dive head first into all things clive barker uh, because he wrote Candyman when we come back. Gory Days! Welcome back to the Gory Days. My guest today is Paris Herbert Taylor, and the movie we're talking about is Candyman. So, for those of you who haven't seen it, this movie came out in 1992, and it's actually based on a short story by Clive Barker called The Forbidden, written back in 1984. But Clive Barker, for those of you who don't know, notable queer Liverpudlian, uh, his story revolved around themes of British class system and contemporary Liverpool. It was the writer-director of this film, Bernard Rose, a white Englishman, who chose to refit the story to Cabrini-Green public housing development in Chicago and instead focus on themes of race and social class in inner city uh, in inner city United States so just just sit on that for a little bit we'll we'll get back to it and it kind of plays into our discussion uh, in the first segment about like how comfortable you feel writing for uh, people that you are not like the idea of writing a woman's story I'm terrified I am not a woman and so this he's obviously a lot I more don't know. I mean for you like for people I think yeah, I mean, there is a lot of, like, jokes around the industry where it's like, oh, she was, like, beautiful and silent. There's it's the like, male gaze. Right. But if you have an interesting character, I just wrote a play with my friend about two gay guys that are, like... That's true. <laughs> ...having sex with each other, you know, so... And, like, fighting about it. And I am not a man or a gay guy. So... But I do know, you know, my brother is gay, and I know that these love triangles pop up. So I think as long as you approach it with um, authenticity and you have a connection to the story and you want to do honor to the characters and you make them rich, you should be able to write from whoever you want. I've heard that. I've heard another perspective that is um, if you're going to write a story, don't give anyone genders or characteristics or anything. Just be person one, person two. They can have familial relationships, so that way it's like they can be anything. Um, I, I don't know if that's universal, but I like both perspectives. So obviously there was some controversy to this film depicting racism and racial stereotypes. And Bernard Rose defended himself by saying, quote, I had to go to a whole set of meetings with the NAACP because the producers were so worried. Rightfully so. And what the NAACP meetings, uh, when, when they read the script, they said, why are we even having this meeting? This is just good fun. Why shouldn't a black actor be a ghost? Why shouldn't a black actor play Freddy Krueger or Hannibal Lecter? So I understand like representation is important and it's not cultural appropriation because Candyman's not real. It's not a real like uh, urban legend in black communities or whatever. It was made up by uh, Clive Barker and then repurposed uh, for the inner city. Um, so it's important for representation's sake. Jordan Peele, uh, who's making the remake, even said the original was a landmark film for black representation in the horror genre. Uh, alongside Night of the Living Dead, Candyman was a major inspiration to Jordan Peele as a filmmaker, uh, he said to Bloody Disgusting. So I can't decide. I-, I leave it to the listener and to the viewer. How did you feel? Like, Well, first of all, <laughs> I was just probably not thinking about that when I saw oh, okay, it the first right. time. No, when I saw it the first time, I'm like, you know... No, I mean, in doing research for it this week, too, I, I, I noticed the same thing. Like, 
here's a little tidbit. So yes, it was shot in this housing project. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the exteriors, the hallways, and the stairways. Were All shot the helicopter there. shots and stuff. Yeah. Right. So. The production, I read on IMDb, actually made a deal with the gang that was actually prevalent at the time, and the gang members ended up being extras in the film, and uh, they were all fine until the last day of production when a sniper bullet went through the production pan. And thankfully, no one got hurt. No one was hurt. But But what I will say about that is that, you know, I I know cultural appropriation, and, and we've had this discussion, like, you know, representation and being writing from a perspective that's not your own. I think it's really admirable that a production went in there and I don't think it's exploitative. I know it's, you know, it's a terrible situation, but I just think about like the opportunities that it maybe gave to some people. We don't know that, you know, some kids that like have no opportunities didn't see a production come to pass with a, you know, African-American man in the lead and were not inspired to go on to do things. It was probably injecting, you know, resources into the community as well but yes there is that whole like were they being exploitative this is their living situation every single day and they really made it look like hell well that's it is like um once because he mentions like once they read the script because mm-hmm. on paper a black ghost is haunting a white woman and he's right. gonna kill okay. her like, that doesn't sound <laughs> great that's, she's a grad student yeah. he's a guy from the 1800s who's actually intelligent and right. like so so like once you actually read the script and you see yeah cabrini green is gang like owned or whatever but there's still people like Anne Living marie there. that want to just oh. be a good person Yes. And so it's like on paper, just looking at the like tagline or the log line or whatever, you would think, yeah, this is problematic. But really, it shows all sides. And it was in the 80s, a time when like, you know, we need these stepping stones, mm-hmm. unfortunately, to get to a point where Jordan Peele can make a remake of this. Because yeah. unfortunately, there may... Maybe there was a black person in the world who had a story like this that mm-hmm. was really trying to get it made and it just didn't happen. Meanwhile, this got made because of these two British white guys. people. <laughs> yeah, and they were able to make it happen. So it's not to say that like there there wasn't a black person mm-hmm. who's willing to tell the story, but that's the reality of it, unfortunately. I do think it's stepping stones, I, yeah. for sure. And I think... Like Boat Trip and uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, these stepping stone right. movies that to you get look to back Moonlight. And you're just like, oh, yeah. You do not stand the test of time. Right. And I actually do think this film stands the test of time. First of I all, it's too. still very scary. Um, but it's realistically <laughs> yeah. scary because they're not stereotypes. They are literally gang members, like yeah. you said. Like they were, they aren't actors portraying yeah. gang members. And this is a notoriously dangerous... Uh, Which I believe is still dangerous right now. Now, actually, there. I mean, I think there are parts that have been, and I read in the Deadline article that um, Jordan Peele is shooting it um, in like the newly uh, gentrified area. Yeah. Um, however, there still are very dangerous parts. It's actually located in Chicago. Chicago has some very, very bad situations. You know. Yeah, I mean, I had to do some research about this because I've heard of housing projects, but I didn't realize the cultural implications. Like, uh, housing projects have been complicated. They, the first decades, they were built with higher construction standards and with a broader range of incomes and applicants. But over time, they became the last resort in a lot of cities. So they've uh, seen to greatly increase concentrated poverty in a community, leading to several negative externalities, crime, drug uses, and education dull- Educational underperformance are widely associated with housing projects, particularly in urban areas. And the reason I I wanted to read that uh, Wikipedia summary because <laughs> this is such a touchy subject. I don't want to offend anybody. I just want to stick to the facts. And the facts are that these buildings, as a result of city negligence, uh, become hubs for uh, concentrated poverty. And concentrated poverty has this unfortunate repercussion of bringing in a lot of unfavorable like drugs and uh, crime and all of that. 
that. Uh, and so that's what our story uh, focuses on. The story of Candyman is Virginia Madsen is a uh, grad student. Um, let's see. Yeah. So the film follows Helen, Helen Lyle, a grad student. What did I call her a second ago? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, follows Helen Lyle, a graduate student in Chicago, completing a thesis on urban legends, which leads her to the legend of Candyman, the ghost of an artist and son of a slave who was murdered in the late 19th century. So Virginia Madsen, uh, sister of Michael Madsen, I have no idea, plays Helen Lyle, and she is so good. She is so good in this movie. Do you know, I, I you probably did the same research I did, that they were going to potentially offer it to Sandra Bullock if yeah. she wasn't available. I'm glad she was, because yeah. she kills it. Yeah, she's um, really good. And uh, I, I don't know what else she's been in. I haven't followed... Uh... I had a look. It doesn't look like too much. She's got one of those faces that is very like familiar. Like You think, oh, did I? was she in? Yeah. I think she was in like a bunch of TV shows. Probably, and, yeah. yeah. I looked I mean, her up. This is an interesting one, yeah, because the writer-director, like this was his big break, and this was like probably his biggest film. And ever since this, he's been making like art house, like indie films, like for himself. Yeah, I mean Tony Todd too. Is that that's the, mm-hmm. the yeah name? Tony okay. Todd, the guy yeah, who plays he, Candyman. I looked at him. He's had a pretty big career, but <laughs> even on his IMDb like little uh, blurb thing, which I think people write about themselves. Yeah, to be they definitely do. You know, Candyman is the first thing that is mentioned too. Like that was a very big role for him. It means a lot to him. Mm-hmm. You can find him on Instagram, and like all of his photos are fan art and wow. like pictures and stuff. Because I don't think he did that much, really. Like he was in Final Destination, like mm-hmm. I said, in cameos. But this was obviously like the most important role to him. Yeah. And that's why I hope he has a cameo in the remake at I least. Hope so. Obviously, he's not going to play Candyman, but yeah. if he isn't even called, <laughs> that's a missed opportunity. I'm sure they will. So, uh, the movie is weird because it opens with Candyman's narration. So, like, this was my first time watching it, and I was ready for there to be some question of whether or not Candyman was real, but he just, he says, they will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for if not for shedding? Living, maybe? With my hook for a hand, I'll split you from your groin to your gullet. I came for you. So, we know Candyman's real pretty much from the start, and so the story of Candyman is like... It's like Bloody Mary, where you go to a mirror, you turn the lights off, and you say Candyman. I also thought it was three times. You have to say it five freaking oh. times. <laughs> yeah. Here's me. Uh, no, no worries. You have to say Candyman five times in the mirror, and then he shows up and kills you. Uh, and so that's what we get our first two deaths is uh, Clara, this babysitter, uh, the Johnson's baby, and Billy didn't go crazy. Billy played by Ted Raimi uh, from Spider-Man fame, if anybody out there is uh, a Raimi fan. Um, he went crazy, but... Uh, that's all the setup for the story of Candyman. Our main characters, Helen and her uh, graduate student friend, Bernie, Bernadette Walsh, are working together on this urban legend where uh, Helen's husband is a professor at uh, the University of Chicago. All of this takes place in Chicago. So Trevor is an asshole. He's a professor at this school and he teaches urban legends. But the first scene we see of him, he is like uh, moving on that like younger student or whatever and God, I just hate him from that moment. And Helen is like, uh, or he's like, you don't really think. And she's like, no, of course not. It's like, good. I should hope not. It's like, I hated Trevor. Stand up for yourself. God, his face the whole time. Just, I wanted to punch him every scene he was in. Um, so anyway, they have a dinner where uh, she is talking to these academics. I guess it's another uh, professor. He's so pompous. He's like, a, he's a theater actor that uh, I looked up. But... Um, she explains to them that they're working on the story of Candyman, and he goes, 
well, you should read my paper that I wrote 10 years ago. And it's like, Jesus, what a douche. But um, he uh, ex- he gives us the story of Candyman, which is he was the son of a slave. He was uh, like because his dad made a machine that mass produced shoes, he was able to live uh, among the wealthy. And so, and he was an artist too. So he uh, was commissioned by a wealthy white man to paint his daughter's virginal beauty. They fell in love. She got pregnant. And because he's a black man, make getting a white person pregnant, they brutally torture him to death. They cut off his hand and jam a hook into it for no reason. They cover him in bees. And for some reason that makes the bees sting him to death. <laughs> I don't I don't pretend to understand bees, but that, that's the story of Candyman. So uh, Cabrini Green, uh, we brought up a couple of times, is a real place that you mentioned. It's a housing project uh, in uh, Chicago, which is totally gang controlled. But this is where uh, Candyman's ashes were allegedly spread. So that's where he haunts. Except you can say Candyman anywhere, I guess, and he'll just pop up and kill you. So whatever. But uh what happens is Helen gets framed for three separate murders. Uh, and I love this. It's this like, uh, in a lot of good horror movies, you'll see this uh, character who's like you and me decline. And like, how far will this person, uh, like how, how far will they fall? Or when they have nothing left, what will they do? And so the first murder she gets framed for, uh, she thinks she found the real Candyman when they uh, when she's at Cabrini Green. A gang guy who's been calling himself Candyman beats the shit out of her, and she's got like that black eye and everything. But then the real Candyman shows up, and that's my favorite scene where she's like entranced and she's like crying, and he comes over and he's uh, narrating, but he's not actually speaking. So good, like Candyman is he he's definitely up there with Freddy and Jason and Chucky and Hannibal and he's the only black one of all of those so it's really important like people would not respond to just a black Freddy Krueger like Freddy Krueger was a character he was a white guy and he you know got burned to a crisp so it's 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 really cool to have a black character from the ground up just something that the the community can look to um so that first murder uh, she wakes up covered in blood in a bathroom and there's a woman outside screaming and when she opens the door there's a dog's head cut off and the woman is screaming at an empty baby uh, uh, t- uh, carriage uh, crib empty baby crib and uh, sh- she of course goes nuts when she sees Helen come out of the bathroom covered in blood so when the cops show up and see Helen with a meat cleaver holding it over her she's done so where we saw this awesome justification just juxtaposition where we saw her being treated as a white person condemning a black person to a crime and everyone's treating her really nice and she gets to go home now she's a criminal and it felt very much like orange is the new black have you seen that yeah, it felt so much like that where she was just being treated horribly, especially that one uh, policewoman played by Rusty Schwimmer. I thought she was amazing. She just is so good at being just like absolutely loveless. Long story short, she gets bailed, but when she goes home, Candyman shows up again. And Bernadette, her uh, her her graduate student friend, is there, and she's like, hello, I'm trying to come in. And when she comes in, Candyman splits her open. This time, there's, she was the only one in the house. They have a history. She's charged with first-degree murder and institutionalized that fucking husband of hers. Um, so she's in the loony bin. When she finally meets Dr. Burke, the, the person overseeing her, her uh, procedures and stuff, he explains that she's been uh, sedated for a month 
And I remember like, what, a month? So she she tells him, I can prove it. And he goes, how? And she looks over to a mirror and goes, Candyman, 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 Candyman. And he's like, well, this is crazy. <laughs> and the Candyman's behind him and rips him up in the back undoes like her restraints or whatever and then whooshes out of there <laughs> i love that shot where he just whooshes back so she escapes out of the broken window back home where trevor is with that young student and uh i uh stacy she 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 is she does a great job carolyn lowry i want to give a shout out as trevor squeeze stacy is so good the way she like she's like her face uh she's just panicking she has no idea what to do uh trevor comes back out and is like what are you doing here call the hospital and she's like go ahead that's what you want to do right and i was just like as soon as they came out i was i literally said i want to write a movie like this like i want the kind of thing where it's like yeah she's back and then she doesn't do anything to them she's she's a good person she just says something threatening and leaves um and so that's when we start catapulting right to the climax here because she's lost everything. She has nothing left. And Candyman revealed that he has the baby that was missing. And his deal is take the baby's place, your life for the babies. So she goes to Cabrini Green, goes to his like altar or whatever. <laughs> this this part, he's just sleeping. He's just like on the altar. I thought he was a ghost, but he's just sleeping on the altar. So when she goes over with her own hook and she tries to kill him, he wakes up and they do this like she's hypnotized again and he carries her off and it's like this weird romantic thing and that's where we get the bees shot where I looked it up. They were real bees. Yes. I could have swore it was like a wax model or no. something, but they put real bees all they over They bred those bees specifically for this movie Yeah, because if a bee is like 12 hours old it looks full size but it doesn't have the stinger yeah so like props to that actor for being covered in bees and having bees in his mouth yeah i couldn't virginia madsen had them all over her too have you ever been stung by a bee yeah like oh you have years ago my brother is my sister is allergic excuse me see there we go with the pronouns um (laughs) she is allergic and so that's a bit more scary but yeah it's it's not fun it's just no it hurts yeah um i've been stung once but from what i've heard uh you don't know if you're allergic until you get stung the second time so for all i know i could be deathly allergic (laughs) yeah yeah um but tony todd and virginia madsen were totally fine excuse me so now that he has her, he uses he he pulls open his coat and you see that like he's like hollow, like his ribs are showing and he's covered in bees. He like kisses bees into her and this this cut is so confusing cuz it looks like she's dead and then Candyman goes over and picks up the baby and says it's time for a new miracle and then she wakes up and it's like there's nothing there. She wanders over and she sees this mural. The dumbest twist, in my opinion, is it was always you, Helen. You see this mural on the wall that's like a woodcut of Candyman getting mutilated to death. And in the background is the father and the daughter. And the daughter looks exactly like Helen. And it's supposed to be like she's reincarnated. And like that's that's why he wants to die with her so that they're together. It just feels <laughs> shoehorned in, honestly. It was more interesting without that to me. Yeah. So then it finally ends ends with the uh there's a giant pile of garbage outside and we've heard earlier from this little boy jake that it's for the party um the baby's crying is coming from inside the giant pile of wood and so here i am thinking it's like on top of it as she has to climb through no it's in the middle it like Candyman teleported it into the middle of that wood so she's got her meat hook and she's trying to like climb through and that's when people see the meat hook and they're like Candyman's in there so they all come out with gasoline and torches and lighter fluid and i i wrote in my notes i was like but 
the baby's in there. Oh my God, are they? No, no, because they start lighting it up and it is tense. And the music is like, it's it's like kind of uplifting and it feels so weird because like I have no idea what's going to happen. Philip Glass, a uh, yeah, minimalist composer, amazing. did the music for this and uh, apparently it was really upset with the final product. Oh. Yeah, but um, <laughs> as, as Philip Glass's want to be. But um, so the place is on fire. Helen is inside with the baby and poof, Candyman is right behind her and he's telling her, we're going to die. We're going to die in, in front of them and like that way we'll live forever as rumor or whatever and also the baby's going to die. Um, but she stabs him with a flaming thing and the coolest thing, she crawls on fire like pieces of flaming debris. It looks like real fire is on top of her and she crawls all the way out holding the baby. And it's really important that everyone see her do this as she's on fire holding the baby and delivers it back to Anne Marie and then dies. She sacrifices herself. And so the epilogue is this, uh, the funeral and Trevor's there and Stacy's there and uh, the pompous academic douche from earlier is there. But uh, then there's this long procession, this big, long crowd of black people from Cabrini Green coming to pay their respects because it's like the long arching thing is that she did achieve immortality, that there are two kinds of people that are remembered forever, the truly great or the truly evil. And so she's the latter. And now she's remembered forever as this this basically angel that came and saved their baby. And Trevor finally is mourning her. He's sitting in the bathroom while Stacy, that brat, is like, I'm going to make dinner. You're super ungrateful about it. And he's like, oh, Helen, Helen. And he goes over to the mirror and he's crying. And he's like, Helen. And he looks at the mirror and he says, Helen. And he goes, Helen, Helen, Helen. And then poof, she's behind him with her own meat hook and kills him all the way through. And Stacy runs back to the bathroom and opens the door and finds him there. And she screams. And that's the movie of Candyman. Yeah. <laughs> So 10-year-old me was like, what is this? That scream <laughs> is nuts. Um, so Very good very good rundown of the Oh, film. thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I still, I, I got to hold myself to time there because now I want to talk about the themes. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I want to start off with the one of folklore. So have you ever heard of a tulpa? Mm, I've heard the word, but I don't think I know what it means. A tulpa is a type of willed imaginary friend that's considered sentient and relatively autonomous. So I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I had an imaginary friend or two. I can't remember their name, but yeah, it was the kind of thing where like, if I left the room, they're still there doing their own thing. And a tulpa is a shared like imaginary friend that if a whole community believes a thing is real, then it becomes real. And that's a tulpa. So is Santa Claus a tulpa? Is Santa Claus a, a tulpa? Is Candyman a tulpa? Um, his <laughs> it makes no sense. He was killed by white like imperialists or, or whatever. He was killed by white slave owners. And so he comes back and kills anyone that says his n name five right. times and also why do they call him candy man mm. it's a weird one there's that there's like some throwaway shot where she opens up some candy and there's a razor blade inside but that's I, not important i thought maybe it had something to do with the bees and like the, the oh honey like honey and like something um you think they'd make that a little more obvious yeah <laughs> there actually was i did some research there yeah. was a, there was a candy man killer in the 70s and he was Killed little boys, um, raped and murdered them, oh, and uh, with candy. I with, yeah, he got them to come into the house with candy. So that 
you know, makes sense. And then this film's not that far after, so maybe Candyman is like a, a scary name. Sure, that they there's would pull. From. There's that, but then um, there's also in 1987. Now we get to get a little true crimey. In 1987, Ruthie Mae McCoy, a resident of Chicago's Abbott Homes housing project, was killed by an intruder who entered her apartment through an opening behind the bathroom's medicine cabinet. Oh. Journalist Steve Bogria wrote two articles for the Chicago Reader about it, one in 1987 and one in 1990. Cause of death, what killed Ruthie McCoy? A bullet in the chest or life in the projects? Mm. <laughs> I thought that was a nice little title. Yeah. So stories about boogeymen and folklore like this are typically... Sometimes they're cautionary tales, like forbidding a behavior or a location, you know, like, oh, don't go into the forest mm -hmm. after dark or blank will get you. But um, this one, I can't tell what it's cautioning against. Like, yeah, it's I think, you know, it is similar concept to like Bloody Mary. Like, yeah, is there a cautionary. It's it's like. It's just a it's just a story that you tell yeah. each other. So pushing it, the limits. Yeah. Um, so, so it's like I don't know. Are there like uh, Australian folklore or urban legends that that you? Um, I'm trying to think. Off the top of your head, there are because there are a couple here. There's like Bigfoot and there's the Jersey Devil. Um, there's the Loch Ness monster in Scotland. Yeah. yeah so I'm just trying. I mean, to... we have. <laughs> I think there's a story called the Bunyip, and it's like what's that? Uh, it's a I couldn't even tell you off okay. the top of my head, but it's something. Sounds kind of cute. It is, <laughs> uh, I believe. But it's, yeah, it's something kind of similar, I think, where it's like a creature. Oh, well, maybe um, we'll see a movie of that. Yeah, I'm sure they've tried. <laughs> People like, we don't care about your weird Australian Yeah, so it's animal. like, is it cautioning against narcissism? <laughs> like, maybe. don't look in the mirror? <laughs> I don't know. Or like be a, uh, yeah, be, yeah. But the people that say it too, like they know the story yeah. and they go too far. Oh, so is it like, like pride? Yeah, yeah. Don't push it or like, yeah. Like be afraid. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't think that you're, you know, brave enough. Mm -hmm. That said, Helen is a badass. Mm -hmm. uh, she's she's the character. bravest person in this whole movie. She walks right through gang members uh who that's honestly one of the scariest parts for me is all the gang members and she goes to the elevator and she's like let's take the stairs um she crawls through the medicine cabinet hole in a derelict building where someone 100 percent was murdered she saves baby anthony while on fire and sacrifices her life for him she kills candy man like for good it looks like he explodes and you see his corpse in there and he manages she manages to reject the advances of tony todd which is the most brave thing i can imagine and she achieves uh, mortality and she kills her husband trevor yeah she does she is an amazing character yeah she maybe she is like kind of the counterbalance there because it's like yeah. you know you are given the opportunity to take the safer route and she doesn't uh-huh um so foolish maybe but yeah it's it is that like bravery versus like stupidity which is maybe maybe the kind of theme of like looking in the mirror and saying it like you know it's going to conjure him or people like joke that it's going to conjure him but then there's all this evidence that it keeps happening. Yeah. Um, and then people keep st still do it. So that is interesting. They're idiots. Um, <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> I still won't. So obviously racism is a part in this. There are a couple moments specifically with the cops. Uh, or or I think the first instance is, is Anne-Marie explaining that when Ruthie May was being murdered in her apartment, she says, I dialed 911, but nobody came. I dialed 911, but nobody came. Um, the police uh, officer uh, that's booking the original Candyman and then later Helen says, only reason why we never brought in Candyman before was because we couldn't find anyone to testify. We can't protect them in Cabrini Green, and they knew that. And then finally, the, the quote that really is like the nail in the coffin is um, Helen comes back after her uh, ordeal with a, a fake Candyman and is talking to uh, her friend Bertie and says, 
You know what really bugs me about the whole thing? Two people get brutally murdered and the cops do nothing. Whereas a white woman goes in there, gets attacked, and they lock the place down. And Birdie's the one that says, yeah, I know, but this was a bad guy. You got him put away and that's all that matters. It's a shame because subsidized housing and that thing that I explained is not anyone's fault, but the repercussions are everyone's fault, is that the police are openly they've completely abandoned them unless a white person goes there it's just no man's land crime like everything is just going to go bad and that's just the way it is they know that it's the systemic problem it is and it's a cycle of poverty which we see and it's a problem that's happening now that's why when you say this stands the test of time i agree because unfortunately we have not improved since then you know we drove here today past loads of homeless people Mm -hmm. you know la we have a massive problem yeah the west coast and we're just one step from them criminal the homeless and right. then that becomes a whole uh, another issue but also that's the thing too like there is probably a lot of crime that happens within those communities and you know assaults and i can only imagine how terrifying it must be not, not or murders to, yeah. like what's the point of investigating this they right. have no kid still a person yeah they're still a person yeah and they honestly just... we are all like one bad day away right. from being homeless that, yeah. and yeah like 90 percent of the people out there just need mental care yeah it's a mental it's a mental health it's crisis inter- it's certainly interesting in this country to have come from other countries where you know healthcare is um a right yes and a little it, more forgiving a little yeah. more universal um so yeah it's interesting but i also think you've touched on something really interesting like when she goes into the mental health facility herself like yes. yes how you know we just don't like take care of our people with mental health not only in america but i think worldwide it's like oh she's crazy so she doesn't She's not telling the truth. And I, I'm i not a mental health professional, so I can only imagine, like, the things they hear on a day-to-day basis. And, like, yeah, if you said to me, oh, this woman, like, says a ghost killed all these people, like, I'm a skeptic. I'm like, yeah. okay, right. But you it's know. like, if they are brought into a professional facility, then, like, the way the orderlies are treating yeah. her, it's straight-up abuse. I mean, it's I mean, it's hyperbole for the film, but, yeah. like, there are certainly documented cases of that happening. There are documented... Someone was just put in jail recently for being convicted of raping a comatose woman yes, because she, she became birth. pregnant. Mm-hmm. She gave birth. And the family was like, she's been a vegetable for... Yeah. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's horrible. horrible. Yeah, so on the flip side of that immortality um it's something that like when i was in high school i remember uh people asking like what do you want to be when you grow up and i was like i don't know but all i know is that like i i have a degree in music composition i thought i wanted to be a songwriter composer because i thought to have to be remembered like Mm. to to talk we talk about beethoven today we talk about like uh all we talk about all these greats we talk about hitler we talk about these people that (laughs) that's what i mean is like the greats and the evil sorry i should have (laughs) thought it a little bit differently his work was a little different than Beethoven. they're not on the same tier uh frederick Douglass, um uh george washington just these people we Mm -hmm. talk about they have achieved immortality Mm -hmm. a form of immortality william shakespeare these people who jesus christ Mm. the people who have uh made made impacts exactly have Mm -hmm. made martin luther king Mm -hmm. somebody who makes such an impact that their name is uttered that is a form of immortality Mm -hmm. that's the only immortality Mm -hmm. and so to be remembered is the only true way to live forever and that's what i wanted to do when i was in high school i was like i want to write a song that people will be singing for the rest of their lives or like uh, like i think think that's a real little kid thing too because i mean that was part (laughs) of the reason i wanted i remember distinctly like i did want to be an actor for a while and i remember it was because i was getting very badly bullied in grade four there you go and i was like they're gonna 
regret it when I'm famous and like they can't come to my parties and, they'll and like call me yeah. and, I'll think, and, yeah. I, and it's because I, I think when you're a kid you don't have any like power and well, so, it's all very emotional yeah. too. You have no realistic idea of money and the yeah. problems out there in the world. But you don't. You just yeah. So I felt the same way. Like I wanted to be. I think it's probably around the time you start to become conscious of like the the idea of death. Mm-hmm. Like as we get older, we kind of accept that everything dies and that's a part of it. When you're a kid, that's scary because you have no like power and you want to like yeah live forever. I think yeah. that I've had the same thought process. You're right because as a kid, you you pretty much believe you're going to live forever. Yeah. And then there's a transition between... Well, you think you're the center of the universe. And yeah. then suddenly you're like, oh, there's other people. <laughs> so then you're like, well, I have to be the center of right. the universe. I have to achieve that then mm-hmm. somehow. But it's it's not... Yeah. Um, so uh, immortality uh, for Candyman is being rumor, is mm-hmm. being this, uh, the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom, I am rumor, to be, whispered about, to be whispered about at street corners, to live in other people's dreams but not have to be. Your death will be a tale to frighten children to make lovers cling closer to our uh in their rapture our names will be written on a thousand walls i freaking love that it's mm, the coolest part it's the coolest part of Candyman's uh story so Candyman inspired two sequels Candyman: farewell to the flesh and Candyman: three day of the dead where we learn Candyman's real name i did not write it down and i completely forgot because <laughs> if you say it you, you know he comes. oh yeah yeah tony todd shows up yeah i don't want to say it so uh, that's funny um so the last thing i want to say uh is that it's interesting how the story is about urban legends specifically within a black community in chicago but it's consistently told through a white lens we literally get Candyman's story through a pompous white academic um so i want to stress the importance of having a black boogeyman this movie delivers on that but it's undercut by having a white protagonist and even more so by her martyrdom The fact that she is literally this white angel that came on from high and there was no one among us that could have done this. And so it had to it had to come from outside this angel to save us from ourselves. And so it feels problematic in that way. I will say that's my opinion. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. I agree with you. But I will say from a feminist point of view, it was very positive and powerful to have a woman. You know, it wasn't like she needed. I mean, I, I, I am a little a bit uh, conflicted on it too because ultimately like he becomes like her he does her bidding like he shows up he kills the doctor like da 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 that is a way of taking power back yeah but you know I do yeah I do think she totally hit the nail on the head like she's a badass like she goes through these places she's connecting with people that like you know the cops wouldn't or whatever um but yeah i think i think we suffer now in our creative world from being so conscious of representing everyone yeah. that we actually miss out on representing anyone mm-hmm. and um and that's like you know i am really a big fan of um jamila jamil that her how you say her name the girl the girl from um the happy place she's oh, uh, this oh. uh i think she's pakistani okay. actress she's fantastic she talks about you know she's very into like body positivity and like being you know people that are disabled and stuff like that and there's been a couple times where she's maybe like posted something or supported something that is like out of line you know Basically, she makes the point that she can't be a representation for every single group, you know? And so I think that is something we, you know, fall into the trap of as well. I 100% agree from you. There is a little bit of a problem there with that, like, white and black uh, situation in this movie. 
But I will say the fact that like two white guys wrote a film that included a black actor in a lead role and also a very strong female character. Like we have to give them props where props are due. You're absolutely right because you can't ignore, you can't just say, well, they're a black person. A white person can't write a black person. That's not allowed. If, if the goal truly is for, you know, representation, then everyone should be allowed to write everyone. Yeah. Within reason, like so you should as, still again, do the research. You yes. should still pay homage. And I think you know the, the fact that they worked with those gang members yes. in that community. Yeah, the fact that you know when you look at the cast, like it's not you know you're not saying like oh all the black characters are bad. You know, yes, the main character is a terrible murderer. Yeah, and the gang her. members are gang members. Right, and, uh, but you Jake also, isn't bad, and Marie isn't you, bad. Exactly, you have a professional a- academic who you know. It's it, in some ways, I think this film was very ahead of its time. It's 1992. That's true. You know, uh, when it came out, yeah. we I don't know, I didn't look at the production dates, but I'm sure it was like a few years before, you know, year before that or whatever. So I think I do think it's dicey. I'll be very very interested to see how Jordan yes, handles. Me too. That because I would love to see, yeah, more African American representation in there. Maybe the main female character will be black as well. Maybe, but you're right. I think there's something that I didn't realize from a female perspective that like the the it's unfortunate, but it's a perpetuated thing that it's like as a white woman, not only should you be afraid of all men all the time, <laughs> but you should be extra afraid of black men. Right. Like they're or, you know, just like dark men, Mexican, yeah. Indian, whatever they look like, you should you should be afraid of them. Mm-hmm. And so when the, this movie taking that idea and giving you this woke white woman mm-hmm. who like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be afraid because of racism and exaggeration uh, stereotypes, but I'm going to give this world a chance. I'm going to bring bravely go into what I know to be dangerous and and push those envelopes and she's rewarded by finding people like Anne Marie and Jake and the, the She's also punished. Yes, that's true. She's being, extremely punished. By being considered too crazy. curious. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if for women representation uh in film and, and art, it's like we see it like we see it at a granular level. I studied um fairy tales when I was at university oh, okay. and like uh, Little Red Riding Hood is the tale of like do exactly as you're told like don't go off the path like blah 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 so in some ways yes she is like rewarded with this immortality but the woman goes through so much yeah. you know and it's like and I did I do find that trial like, by fire literally yeah, literally and I find like her husband crying kind of offensive because there, Me too! there is that thing where it's like you don't realize what you've got until you've, you've gone but like yeah I mean you're never going to be able to tell every single story in every single film. But I think if you keep trying consistently to be like, yes, we need a black boogeyman. We need a strong female lead. We need, you know, the cop was also female, which was cool. That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, like I think just moving away from those stereotypes, because if you just said, this is a movie about uh, a guy who comes in and kills people after you say his name, if you're white, you might imagine he's white. Mm-hmm. And we need to, and, and if you say like, and then there's a cop that comes to the projects and blah, 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 you might assume that that's a man. And I think that's where it's problematic. I think we have to move away from what we expect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where this movie did really well because yeah, it was. Cause it had to stand up to mm-hmm. the like poster that is like, Oh, big scary black yeah. man is going to come get the With white lady on his face. But yeah. he didn't make it. They didn't make it seem like he's a ghost and he's a killer because he's black. That was the inciting incident was that like the racism led to him. He's the victim. Yeah. yeah. And he now is the he's victim. being used. Like for all we know, he doesn't want to kill the people. He right. just has to, when he shows up, I think you kind of get to a point where you are rooting for him in mm-hmm. the film, even though I was not as a 10 year old, I was like, what is happening? And I watched most of it under a blanket, but yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's almost funny and like the romantic element of it too is kind of weird it, but it comes off weird it's yeah. kind of weird but it's also kind of again even that is progressive you know like yeah, it yeah. wasn't that many years ago that like william shatner and i forget her name which is terrible, uh, michelle nichols had their first kiss on tv yeah. you know like to see more interracial couples is a step in the right direction even if one of them is a ghost with a hook for a hand <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is a crazy lady yeah. so our final segment we like to rate our movie on a scale of one to five thumbs mm-hmm. one being the worst and five being the best paris what do you think of Candyman? if you ask me when i was 10 years old i would have said negative 10 because <laughs> i was so scared of this movie but i think as an adult I will. I'll be generous, and I'll say I'll, I would give it five. Five, wow, five out of five. Again, you know, you're talking to someone who does not have a lot of <laughs> horror films to compare it against. But I think I think it'll be interesting. I think this a this podcast is really well timed. I think especially with the film coming out, like I'm interested to see how it goes. And I hope I think I think there's a lot of elements to this as a filmmaker that are also very like five star. Maybe I'd say like four and a half to be fair. But you know, like yes, you mentioned the composer. You mentioned like you know, the acting and like, Mm -hmm. I just think it came together. Even like the, the cinematography in this film is actually really beautiful. Yeah. Especially those aerial shots are amazing. And that's a time before we had drones. They had to get a big giant helicopter out there. And the writing is really tight. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's overall, it's a great film. If you like horror and you haven't seen it, I'm sure people who like horror have seen it. It's a classic at this point. If you haven't, mm. I implore you i mean i guess we spoiled the whole thing but it's still worth a watch <laughs> yeah we skipped over a lot of stuff it's still worth a watch yeah so traditionally we'll also uh award those thumbs to characters in the movie so you have four and a half thumbs to give who are you going to give those four and a half thumbs you can spread them out or you can give them all to one okay well i would definitely give uh at least two to tony obviously because <laughs> he doesn't good. have two exactly thumbs. he's gonna need he's, a, he's gonna need both of them because <laughs> he's got a hook for a hand yeah um but yeah i mean and then uh virginia also was amazing yeah um so i've got a half a left um yeah i mean i would just spread that out amongst the supporting cast i think this is a really really strong film i think again like it's so different to view it as a critical person versus yeah. like enjoying it um maybe you know this whole process of like revisiting scary movies that i thought were scary will make me as an adult try to appreciate things more and try to try to go back and watch those scary films but as i mentioned at the start of this podcast i couldn't really get through the it 2 trailer so it's just it's ptsd it's a psychological thing but i think yeah i think it's a great film i know exactly what you mean um as i get old like if i was a kid and saw this i would have been bored to tears by the doctor scene mm. or literally every scene where people are just talking to where each they're other not getting murdered brutally <laughs> yeah. but like as an adult now i love those scenes mm-hmm. the scenes where they're in the like institutionalized and mm. and like uh where it really seems like if she doesn't play her cards right this is it this mm. is where she's gonna die this is the rest of her life i love that stuff and i can only appreciate it as an adult now i think it's different as well as we get older different things scare us mm-hmm. like go being like incorrectly labeled as being mentally ill is terrifying terrifying because no one will believe you because then crazy people say i'm not crazy yes exactly and i you know there's been a lot of like girl interrupted there's so many films where like you can't get out of that situation and you're trapped um but also i think what's scary to us is like the racism or becoming Mm -hmm. homeless and i'm sure you know i'm not black i'm sure living with that on a daily basis i've seen it in la i've seen people get pulled over yeah and i'm I'm like there's like five cop cars for one dude on the bike and i'm like are you serious like i live and then i have to catch myself doing it too i live in west hollywood um there's been a few guys and there's a bit of a homeless population around there but sometimes I've seen someone just walking up the street and I, and I'm, it's late at night and I'm a woman and I'm just generally cautious and scared. But I'm also like, I know I'm being more 
like scared because he's black. Sure. And I was chased recently by a white guy. Really? Oh yeah. my god. No, I was fine. He was just super drunk and I was walking my dog and okay. uh, I was fine. But he like came at me and then <laughs> it's just funny because my three African-American friends and my very white Pacey boyfriend went looking for him around nice. the neighborhood. They were drunk. Okay. They went looking around from the neighborhood and they were like, um, afterwards I was like, that would have been a really bad situation for yeah, you actually if you had found sweet. him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's the thought that counts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I love this movie. Candyman, I'd never seen it before today and I regret never seeing it because it is freaking amazing. I was uh, so impressed by the acting in it. Virginia, Tony, uh, I want to credit the uh, actors. Uh, oh, no, I did. Yeah, Virginia Tony, yeah. Xander as Trevor, uh, Vanessa Williams as Anne Marie McCoy, Cassie Lemons as uh, Bernie Walsh. I barely mentioned him, but uh, Jake is played by Dehuan Guy. He does a great job. Kids. It's so easy for me to hate kids in movies. Children actors. Yeah, yeah. children actors in movies because they're always looking at the camera. Mm. No spoilers, but I just saw Avengers Endgame and mm. there's a scene where there are children and they look right in the camera. Uh, and I can't like, help it. It's like a big eye. It is. It is. Um, and it's like, that's that's why you go to acting school right. so that you can train your brain to ignore that to just make a like uh, dead kids, zone. You know, sometimes kids, I, I, I have to give a shout out to kid actors. Like they're so authentic. Yeah. Like as we get older. When they're good. Yeah, but even like, you know, you give a kid like I've, I used to run like after school programs uh, oh. teaching like drama games. And it's like it's crazy. Like as adults, we kind of put up these walls inside of ourselves where we're like, that would be silly to yeah. crawl around on the floor like a dinosaur. Whereas like a seven year old's like, I'm just like flops. Like I'm going to do it. So. <laughs> and not to mention their bodies are capable of yeah. taking a lot more damage. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> they can get down on the floor a lot quicker than we can. Yeah. So if I had to rate this movie on one to five thumbs, man. I think I'm going to give it five thumbs. Nice. We're in the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. The last it's movie. It's very good. It's really good. And it does stand the test of time. It's a package. And it's one that, like, if I was running a, a horror class or something, it would be part of my curriculum for, sure. for a lot of different reasons. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it five thumbs. And I'm going to grant my thumbs. I'm going to get one to that asshole, the pompous white douche, <laughs> Michael Culkin as uh, Philip Purcell, um, so we can shove it right up his butt. <laughs> I'm going to give one to Tony Todd, of course. I like it. I'm going to give two to Tony Todd, because I like that idea. He yeah, And I'm going to give my last two. Oh, no, I'm going to give one to Virginia Madsen. She's amazing. And mm. I'm going to give one last one to um, Stacy. That scream at the end. She's not the best actress, but that scream at the end is amazing. Yeah, yeah I loved it. So that's Candyman. So Paris, where can people find you online if they want to uh, see more of you? Yeah, please come and find me. Um, I have a blog. It is has not been updated in a while, but I'm making it an effort to post more regularly. This will be a kick in the butt. Yeah, this is definitely a kick in the butt. Um, so it's called theunchecktbaggage.com. So Perfect. You can find me there. I'm also all over social media. My um, Instagram is probably my most accessible. It's at uh, oparisimo, so O-H-P. Paris IMO. Okay. Um, we'll add that in the description. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, come and find me because I know there's a lot of creative people out there that want to talk about stuff. And when I came out here, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like there's people here that are willing to help you. And in Hollywood and in LA, there's a lot of people that are much more accessible but the thing is, no matter where you are in the world, those people are actually accessible to you. It's just harder for you to come and sit down and have a coffee with them. But you would be surprised yeah. if you are passionate and if you are hardworking. My thing is like, don't waste people's time. If you actually want to write something or if you want to like know more about like moving around or whatever, like have questions that are pointed and realize as well that people are busy, but <laughs> and they might not get back to you straight away. But I think, yeah, you've got to be in it to win it. 
if you want to change your life, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. And always remember that if you leap, the net will appear. In theory, if you are, you know, smart about it. <laughs> A consistently universal, internationally woke perspective from Paris <laughs> Herbert Taylor. Thanks so much for listening to The Gory Days. Stay scary out there. The Gory Days.